walking you through the Downtown Pedestrianization Plan. This week, the Downtown Pedestrianization Report finally went through committee. We talked with Jason and Stephen, two of the shepherds that guided it through. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 250. This is a milestone episode, one quarter of a thousand episodes. Nice round number, yeah. Nice round number. And we're also incredibly close to another round number. This podcast has gotten 198,000 downloads since our first episode, which is a high number for sure, but 2,000 less than the number I want it to be. So if you, dear listener, could share this episode with exactly 2,000 of your friends, very much appreciate it. That would be amazing and give us a great head start toward the next milestone. Of course, these 198,000s have been publications of Taproot Edmonton. And this week, we're brought to you by Strathcona County. To increase investment in the region, Strathcona County and the Economic Development Team have released a new investment attraction website, helping site selectors, developers, investors, and businesses looking to expand get the right information to make the next best investment decision. Strathcona County and the Urban Center of Sherwood Park have future-ready infrastructure, a world-class workforce, and exceptional quality of life, and are proud partners of Alberta's Industrial Heartland Association and Edmonton Global. You can learn more at selectstrathcona.com. That's selectstrathcona.com. And Mac, I just have to say on that ad, the audacity of the Guinness World Records world's largest hamlet to call themselves an urban center unbelievable the, the 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 amount of gall that they have off the charts and yet somehow less pretentious than saint albert's bubble but here we are <laughs> joining us on this episode are two people who showed up at the meeting that actually happened i have a collection of hats to eat or bets to lose whatever the outcome was i lost it uh the pedestrianization Item actually went ahead at Urban Planning Committee this week. First, it's Stephen Rates, who's a board member at Paths for People, and Jason Svixe, who's the Director of Metro Strategy and Advocacy at UDI Edmonton Metro, who has a noticeably longer title than Stephen. Welcome to you both. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having us. So this report, long delayed, finally happened at Urban Planning Committee this week. There's a motion, as Troy mentioned, that was passed unanimously. We talk about how council works on this show a lot, but it seems to me that what happened here is committee asked for a report, they got a report, and then they asked for another report. So I'd love to hear from both of you who are in the meeting. What do you think was actually achieved this week with the motion passed at Urban Planning Committee? Urban Planning Committee discussed uh, a report called Closed and Shared Streets in Downtown, and the motion really stemmed out of a conversation that happened really over a year and a half ago around whether or not 102 Avenue should be open to pedestrians. There was a lot of conversation, a lot of passion, a lot of debates and discussions, and sort of what led us here as different organizations was that Paths for People uh, and UDI Edmonton Metro, the Downtown Recovery Coalition, the Downtown Edmonton Community League and the Edmonton Downtown Business Association, all of our organizations didn't really quite agree on the idea to close 102 Avenue, the car lane, and reopen it to pedestrians. What came out of that conversation was a motion for administration to explore pedestrianization in the downtown. What Urban Planning Committee received in terms of the report was 
work that was really focused on temporary street closures, which we know are a critical city building tool. You know, think about your farmer's markets, you think about the festivals that happen downtown. Those are things that people know and love and they want to frequent and experience. We also know that the idea, the concept of pedestrianization includes a lot more than just uh, a temporary activation and programming. There's permanent infrastructure that um, is necessary to, to revitalize the downtown. And so our organizations came together to explore this bigger question, which is how do we create safe, accessible spaces that serve everyone in our city's core? Uh, we launched this downtown pedestrianization plan to a lot of uh, excitement, uh, I think, from different community organizations, uh, as well as uh, industry uh, business owners, uh, as well as uh, city administration who have been in contact with us. Uh, and so, as you, as you mentioned, there, the report was deferred a couple times, and we were finally glad to be able to show up at, at Urban Planning Committee yesterday. And the motion that was passed, as you as you discussed, was for administration to implement um, action on the gaps identified in their report, but also to immediately um, move on um, the actions in our downtown pedestrianization plan with a particular re- progress report by the end of Q4 2024. Um, so really, the spirit of it was encouraging administration to actually implement um, the ideas in our plan as well as their report, uh, and then to come forward with a a bit of a a progress report on how these immediate short-term actions and their implementation lead to a a longer-term plan. I think it was really interesting that your takeaway from it was that it's sort of about implementation of this action plan, because that's not actually what the motion says, right? It says provide a report outlining an action plan. And it should include a sequencing of actions and an implementation schedule with budget and resource requirements. So my read on this is that they want to have something that council could vote on and say, yes, we're going to spend the money to go and do that now start. But what you're saying is you think maybe there'll be some action before this. And a lot of the conversation, sort of the nuance uh, outside of the actual motion that was passed, because council often can't be so fine-grained in in how staff are deployed and how resources are deployed. So the nuance and the context that was missing from the motion, but was actually discussed during the conversation with administration, was the the necessity to to move forward on uh, the short-term implementation on on actions that, you know, Mayor Sawyer talked a lot about, like, can we see a lot of these things happen in the summertime? Can we we move on these, on the particular um, actions that can be implemented right away. So there was a spirit of that. Um, and then there were other sort of case studies that administration has moved forward on that could serve as an example for administration to, to model and to replicate. Um, I worked at the city of Edmonton, so I worked on um, the city of Edmonton's info roadmap. Um, a roadmap is uh, the city of Edmonton's administrative term for an action plan. Um, and often they're meant to serve as two-year sort of implementation documents. And the whole purpose is to spread out the objective or the goal of that particular project and try to encourage different departments and teams to to actually implement them right away. What I would emphasize is that outside of the motion, but inside of the meeting, there was pretty clear direction from council that there would be an expectation that something is going to happen this summer, that some kinds of projects are going to be implemented. And so that's not necessarily an outcome from a committee report that gets spelled out because committees are more about ongoing reporting and understanding about how we're doing things. It's just naturally going to be framed in a way that it feels like, oh, it's just another report. That's what committees do. They look at reports. We did get some good admissions regarding 
we're going to see some action this summer and see some continued work and hopefully see some longer term strategy that Jason was kind of mentioning around um, how do we stitch together some of the cool nodes we've identified. And then I think from like an advocacy sense outside of that meeting room, uh, what I think was really important from Paths for People's perspective is that we actually got other organizations that like disagreed with us on a specific project to agree to some broader actions. We got a commitment from everybody else to say, these are the things we're going to do. We're going to agree on these things and we're going to try and make them happen. Ultimately, we need to recognize that in the city building process and doing stuff across uh, downtown, that there's many different stakeholders. It's not just the city who can stymie or block certain projects. You need to get a bunch of different people on board to actually see progress. This effort culmination coming into the committee meeting was that realized, that idea of, okay, everybody's on the same page. We can start doing stuff now. I'm hearing that, you know, the motion doesn't say we're going to do stuff, but there's conversation in the room that we're going to do stuff. What is stuff? Was there any discussion of like, what's a concrete action that we would see this summer that would let us know that this was successful? What can we look for? I think we can look for certain activations on Rice Howard Way. That's such low hanging fruit and some really high opportunity for low cost, high impact projects for festival activation and that kind of thing. I think we provided some additional direction to the city to stitch together different festivals better over the summer or to amplify what goes on if the Oilers make the playoffs like in the spring, connect Ice District to 104th Street. We provided that direction. And so I think we're expecting to see some of those activations. And then we're also expecting to see some of those ongoing projects like uh, summer streets or patios being enhanced within the core. And then hopefully moving the ball forward on some of that longer term strategy stuff around how do we tie this into a renewed capital city downtown plan and ensure that any renewal efforts within streets for the core place a special emphasis on renewing sidewalks and expanding the space available so that there's not just space for movement, but space for life as well. So we're going to do some stuff, just not on 102nd Avenue this summer, is what I'm hearing. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say that it's not on 102nd Avenue. If they listen to the direction that at least Paths for People provided pretty clearly, there's a very clear connection between Churchill and 104th Street. And on a weekend when the traffic is not super heavy and there's maybe not the same commuter concerns that we have, There could be something there. I always personally say that I foresee something happening on 102 Avenue eventually, and we just didn't get it this time. Let's not sit around and, you know, wallow in our sorrows and do nothing. Let's find other things to do. And then hopefully there's an opportunity to get 102 Avenue in the future. I'm not a sit around and do nothing person. Paths for People isn't an organization that just says, oh, we give up. Like, there's other ways to do this work, and that's what we're trying to do. I think that's a good approach. And I would just, you know, say, you know, my joke about 102 have aside, like, even if we wanted to do something, that intersection at 103rd Street has been dug up with a giant crane in the middle of it for months now anyway. So you can't do anything on 100. You can't even ride your bike there easily. I think what the conversation yesterday revealed was that um, there's a lot of different expectations around this capital city downtown plan and what it actually can achieve. Uh, And so the second part of the motion was actually uh, cementing the administration to create a capital city downtown plan and to refresh it. And if you sort of listen back to administration's conversations, there were lots of different items that were 
that were identified as what the plan would solve. They talked about land use. They talked about economic development strategies. They talked about how to grow our residential base downtown. They also talked about where public sector investment could be made in infrastructure. So I think that was a positive is that a lot of those questions or sort of uncertainties around what this refresh could look like was cemented through that motion. And also administration sort of created some assurances that whatever comes out of the short-term implementation of these actions that we've identified, they would find their their way into that larger capital city downtown plan, which I think is a win, having everybody be on the same page about what that particular planning exercise could look like and, and prioritizing pedestrianization. I do like the connection back to the capital city downtown plan. So just following on with Troy's question about like, what can we actually expect? You mentioned Stephen Rice Howard Way is potentially low-hanging fruit. It's mentioned in the report as well, specifically. What can we do on Rice Howard Way unless we buy and shut down the private parkade that is there? You know, that's one example of, it seems like it should be easy because it's already pedestrian friendly. You can already, you know, cross the street wherever you like on Rice Howard Way, but there's this really big obstacle. And then another one that's mentioned in the report is my street, 104th Street, between 102nd Avenue and Jasper. And and the, the barrier there is not so much a physical asset, because I think most of the parkades and parking lots have alternative alley access. It's resistance from businesses and residents. So it's a totally different problem than what we see just a few blocks over on Rice Howard Way. I'm wondering, you know, from either of you, what you think we can actually do this summer that would lead to some long-term potential changes to improve this? Because short of shutting down that parkade, I'm really wondering about Rice Howard Way. Well, I wonder if there's a more strategic way to think about access to that parkade. There's an alleyway that can provide access. And so long as there's appropriate detouring, I think it's feasible to, at least in a time-limited sense, open up the street in that location while still providing some access to that parkade. Just as, you know, we get creative with the, the 104 street openings on weekends and that kind of thing. So I think there's some creativity that can be mustered and applied. And I think that what we've been able to demonstrate through this exercise by having the community league, which represents the residents of uh, the downtown, we had paths for people, which, you know, include advocates uh, for walking and rolling, the development industry who have members who own land along those corridors, uh, as well as the, the downtown business association that um, who represent the businesses. We would hope that, you know, all of our organizations uh, saying that Rice Howard Way and 104th Street are opportunities would be the first step in, in moving something like this forward. Um, so I know that all of our organizations are committed to this because when we identify different priority areas for a shared street, Rice Howard Way and 104th Street continued to emerge as the, the two areas or, or, or pockets of cool that could really have a path to success and serve as a proof of product. Um, we would all remain engaged to continue to do that engagement with our, our members. So hopefully the, the, the DBA with the businesses, the UDI with uh, the developers along those uh, Rice Hard Way and 104th Street. And there, there's actually a lot of conversation already happening with Rice Howard Way sort of behind the scenes with the city of Edmonton administration. They've they've taken this action and I think that they've run with it. It's something tangible that they could see success on. And uh, I know that some of our developers are part of those conversations. So I, I do think that there is a path to success potentially. I think what I'm getting at, Jason, and I don't want to take anything away from what you guys have said about, you know, having these organizations come together, because I do think that is really impactful in this case. And it, it really did have an impact on what administration did and how it was received by committee. But I think what I'm getting at is that at the end of the day, UDI, the DBA, certainly the residents, like we're not going to 
buy a parkade. We're not going to build the infrastructure that needs to happen to be put into place to make these things happen. Like at the end of the day, there has to be some somebody, the city, right, that has to front the money or make the changes or whatever. And even if you're all aligned and you continue to be engaged, like if we can't convince council to approve it, it's, it's kind of for naught, isn't it? I don't know. I, I don't think it's as simple as that. Um, you know, we think about two major residential projects that are opening uh, that front and edge, the edges of Warehouse Park, the parks and the shift. Uh, both of them are members of UDI. They're bringing about 2,200 units for residential. The big question is, where are those residents coming from? And will they actually live downtown is obviously another nut to crack and probably yeah. Yeah. Uh, another podcasts or another question to to consider, but private sector and community sectors arguably take their cues based on the investment that's made by the public sector. Knowing what's what's happening, which areas uh, of the downtown will experience renewal, where uh, council administration will put their priority, those are all uh, important steps towards having the private sector catalyze or sort of move forward on their projects. And I know that hearing from our developers and through this process, they're really keen to understand what is the future of pedestrianization, where are things being stitched together, where is the city going to put their investment, and that will actually help them hopefully transform and transition their projects to better respond uh, to those investments. There's been a couple things we've been talking about so far, and I think it's important to put actual words to what we're saying. In the report, there were three types of closures talked about. There were full closures, cars are banned, only people rah, rah, hooray, the socialist utopia of Edmonton. There were shared streets where, you know, these are woonerfs, these are uh, where cars have access to this roadway. And then there were temporary closures like Seclovias or open streets or, or things like that. In my reading of the report and my hearing you two talk about it, my understanding is the idea of closing a street to vehicle traffic is a complete non-starter in five years, I'd say. Uh, my impression from listening to counsel and my impression reading this court report is that we could not hope in the inside of five years to have any success other than a small closure of 107th Street already planned for Warehouse Park actually closed to cars. Am I off base with that? Did you get any different impression or is the conversation basically only about shared and temporary closures? I just want to question why we're so tied to that particular outcome being achieved immediately. Like, I think so much of this is about experience and so much of building up the political will and that advocacy around these kind of projects is facilitating someone's experience, like letting them see that road getting closed down and still being able to navigate to a parkade or having a fine detour and then actually getting to experience that open street. Like, that's what's going to build more of that political will. So, But we've done that, Stephen. We've done that for years. We closed 104th Street every Saturday for how long? People have experienced that. There are a million people in Edmonton. There are many different perspectives that still exist out there. And so there's still more work to do. And I, so I think we are getting those some of those permanently open streets soon with 107th Street. And I think we need to start activating Rice Howard Way to move in that direction as well. And we also need to recognize that a Woonorf can be pretty awesome too. I think it's not some loss if there's still access for a vehicle at some points in the day in some shapes and forms. That's not some huge L we're taking. So long as that vehicle is sharing the space in a way that doesn't impact users negatively, like we, we see this kind of infrastructure elsewhere in the world and it works, we can make it work here. I think we just still need to experiment with it and like understand it. 
I'll also say like, we did try to open up a street and we failed. It did not work. It lost. And again, Paths for People is not about wallowing. We're about winning. We're about like getting things for people to make the experience better. And so we would love to have so many different things, but let's reach for the things that we can achieve in the shorter term to build up that capacity in the longer term. So Troy, basically, I think that you have it kind of right. I wouldn't look at it so pessimistically, but I would say we're going to be getting stuff soon and that stuff will be awesome. That stuff will be things that we can still appreciate and enjoy, even though cars are not banned. Yeah, and I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think it really is important to set expectations because you even heard it in Max questions, you know, how is it possible on Rice Howard Way to activate this thing because of the parkade? And it's not possible to do a full street closure on Rice Howard Way for that parkade access, but something like a Woonerf, something like a shared street could be theoretically possible. So, you know, when we base it off the assumption that no, we're not actually talking about closing roads yet. We're talking about building political capital. I think that's just important to be upfront about. I'm getting the sense, yes is the answer to the question. We're not really talking about immediate closures for cars of roads. It is, at least in the immediate future, targeting woo-nerfs and shared streets and temporary closures. That's the political target, I think. I th and I would maybe add that I think we've heard from members that we do really want to see some spiciness. We want to see some energy here. We would love to achieve like a full closure of a street. But I think there's also a recognition that we just had that discussion. Let's try something new. Let's try to be more collaborative and let's try to get at least something instead of just sitting around and trying to have the same discussion over and over again. You know, I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I talk about this all the time. And my PhD research is, is exploring what I think is the most quintessential, terrible intersection in Canada, Portage and Maine, where people <laughs> literally can't cross the street. There's literally eight car lanes on both sides, north and south. And for whatever reason, council 40 years ago, back in 1970s, 79 to be exact, made a, an agreement with developers to shut that down for 40 years and have people go underground. And that was part of the, the urban planning fad at the time, you know, for the underground walkways and pedestrian paths. Uh, and those obviously serve a purpose for a wide range of audiences. So I'm really um, aware of sort of these conversations of, you know, do we fully go carless and will this actually work? But we still drive. And, you know, there's a referendum where, you know, Winnipeggers voted to keep the intersection closed to pedestrians. And so familiar with these these complicated questions and urban issues where there's some real equity concerns for how people move and walk around. But I do want to say like a positive is that Winnipeg is not at the place where they're even talking about a nomenclature of different types of streets, a full, a full closure, a shared street or an open street. And so to take it in a direction of more optimism, which is, you know, moving to Edmonton for the city building conversations that Edmonton is interested in um, nurturing. And obviously you, you folks are a part of that. Um, I think it's kind of neat that we are all expending a lot of energy and time talking about, you know, how do we make the downtown more pedestrian friendly? And I think that's a positive. And I think one step towards that is awareness around what a shared street is. I, I don't know if a lot of people who aren't urban nerds like us who read, you know, urban journals and who are traveling to different parts of the, the country and the world, you know, how does that work and, and how does it operate and, and how do we sort of adjust and pivot that over time? So I think that's a positive that came from the conversation. We certainly saw administration uh, improve their report through 
our report, you know, they actually added into the report those three different definitions, uh, different conditions of streets and, and different mobility users. And also um, sort of the conditions that are necessary to be able to warrant um, a shared street. So the street front retail and, and the residential base, the visitation. So I think that there were some positives that came out of out of that particular addition to the report. Uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, Paths for People had a pretty great event. Um, I'm talking about the open street on Jasper Ave, the, the big one, not the taste of, but the big one. And uh, you'll know as well as I do probably much, much better that we haven't really had something like that since. Could you delve into sort of like the reason behind that? Like is is what we're approving today going to enable Paths for People to do more of those events? Or is the reason that Paths for People hasn't been doing these things related to volunteer capacity or related to other things that this motion might not address? I think it makes it easier for organizations to do that kind of work. Ultimately, there's there's some good progress outlined in that report and some good action that can be taken regarding the permitting process and that kind of thing, that nitty gritty of how do we actually facilitate those closures and um, lead people into that application process. Um, so I, I think it makes it easier. I, I'll just be frank and say, like, if you know of a place to get tens of thousands of dollars, hit me up because then we'll do another one. But that was an expensive, awesome event. But, you know, we only had capacity to do it at that time due to grant funding that we had. I was going to mention that um, I, I made this point yesterday about the ballet of reports going to council, administration drafting them, and then, you know, this feeling that perhaps we never, none of us get anything that we actually wanted to see. And I think Mac and Troy, those are valid questions. It's like, how many times do we need to keep coming back to this particular conversation, this discussion, it becomes a cyclical in nature and and nobody is left feeling that anything got done. And I think that, you know, that's a valid line of questioning and inquiry. And so yesterday I said, you know, motions cost money, you know, like uh, I worked at the city and to write a report in response to motion takes about three months prior to actually having it come to a committee or council because there's multiple series of reviews and multiple staff that need to be involved and included. And so this particular motion was addressed and tackled by urban planning and economy, which focuses on, you know, frameworks, vision, policy. But really what they presented, and, and I've been clear about this, was no recommendations, no timelines, no responsibilities within city administration. And they really came forward with what we already know, which is that temporary street closures are a problem, that they're a barrier for Many folks who want to host festivals and whether it's Cyclovia or open streets or events on them. And I think that we could have avoided this if there was a integration with uh, Parks and Roads, with IIS to start to think about, let's present changes to the permitting process. Let's present an idea for priority locations that might be keen to waive the fees associated with, you know, a temporary street closure. And we didn't really see that. So uh, in, in many ways, while we were also presenting some ideas for other short-term interventions and long-term ideas, it also was an opportunity for us to say that we need to be smart with how we deploy resources within the city corporation so we can achieve those outcomes. It it does feel cyclical, like you said, Jason, and it does feel slow and it doesn't feel like we make progress. So let me just put out this feeling to you both as a person who's lived downtown for more than 15 years, worked downtown for 20 plus, walks everywhere, bikes when, when I can in the summer. I'm not yet a winter biker. 
there's really two things that negatively uh, impact my experience as a pedestrian downtown. The first is construction. It's aggravating when you're in a car, but at least you're in a car. When you're a pedestrian, you sometimes have to make a really ridiculous detour to get around that construction. And it's everywhere. And there's no signs for pedestrians. There's only signs for cars. So that's number one. And number two is just vehicles, big trucks that can't see me, that rip down the street, that don't stop properly at intersections and allow pedestrians to cross, that drive up and down the bike lanes. It just seems like there's a lot of conversation when improving the experience for pedestrians, if that's what our goal is downtown, improve the experience for pedestrians, we could just do a couple of really simple things. Fewer cars, fewer construction sites. Now, I know there's a whole other range of things like businesses and retail and coffee shops and patios and all the rest of it that improves the experience. But it doesn't seem like it's rocket science to improve what we already have by just removing some of the vehicles, either reducing where they can go or or which roads they're on or how many there are. And, you know, being more conscientious about the impact of construction on, you know, pedestrians and, and cyclists. So I guess I struggle a little bit with this idea that we need these big, like, long-term principles back to, you know, foundational principles. How are we going to do this? How do we connect it to the capital city downtown? Like, that's all great, but it just feels like we're missing the low-hanging fruit. Even in the way that you were framing that question, I think we were getting to the place where we can all agree where, well, obviously we're not going to stop constructing things downtown, where obviously we're not just going to kick all cars out of the downtown. Like it is a balancing act. It's a balancing act between different modes. It's a balancing act between different land uses and expectations around what kinds of things are getting built in the downtown. Inevitably, I think we kind of settle in that mushy middle where there's some easier things that we can get ready to rumble this summer that will improve some things. And there's some harder, more strategic things that we need to have a more nuanced conversation about. Does that conversation like feel cyclical? Like, yes, but I think it's like cycling upwards. That's probably the way I would describe it. Like we're always doing this, like the, the city building process is never really done ever. And so I hate to break it to you, but like downtown is never going to be perfect. It's never going to be a walking paradise, but it's going to be better than it was 10 years ago now. And it's going to be better than it is now in 10 years. So I think so long as we can get people focused on some of those mushy middle activities, those low hanging fruits, you know, that builds up more will and more interest in seeing this improve overall. And I think sets us in a better direction. Yeah, but I, I can totally understand the the feelings of like, it's literally right in front of you every day and it, it kind of grates on you. But I maybe I'm just full of youthful optimism and I want <laughs> to say it's going to get better. But I'm going to be somebody who's working downtown next year and hope to work downtown for a while to come. Uh, and so I will be joining in that fight day to day. Hopefully that spice will help. M maybe Jason will completely refute what I've said. You know, I would just say that I think I've lost the youthful optimism over time working in planning. <laughs> so it's it's also encouraging to have folks have that that fight in them and the, the great ideals and aspirations to move our cities forward. And uh, and so it's great when groups like Pastor People and, and other organizations that are that represent community come forward and, and bolster the conversation. I think that's important. Your point about construction, yeah, I, I mean, that's like a big issue that all residents generally hate and talk about. And what we actually discovered through this process is that really people want to be communicated on when construction is happening, where, uh, and and what more can we expect. And we were actually realized that administration doesn't collect this data so and doesn't communicate them. And so in our plan, one big item is just let's 
communicate when those things are happening. So there's an awareness from different users of the downtown uh, of where and when that might be happening. I, I appreciate that. I think that's not quite what I'm saying. I'm, I'm being a bit more simplistic about it. Like, I don't need to be informed when the construction's happening. I just want when the construction is happening, the entire sidewalk and bike lane to not unnecessarily be closed. You right. know what I mean? Like, if there's no reason to add, there's not a hole in the ground, why do we close it and make pedestrians go really far away? Like, that's not an engagement problem. It's not an inform information problem. It's uh, the people that run that are not pedestrians and have no idea what the impact of that decision is because they don't experience it, right? I think, Mac, to extend on it and to ask the question that Jason and Stephen probably won't want to answer because uh, I recognize they like to collaborate, one of my favorite city policies is policy C-550A. I recognize that number because I've consulted it so many times. And that's the policy that was passed back in 2017, back when Iveson and Henderson was on council. And it says as bullet point number three, my favorite bullet point is that this policy promotes active modes as the first priority within areas of high pedestrian and cyclist activity. This is the construction hoarding policy. This is the policy that has been passed two councils ago that is giving administration clear direction to don't put construction hoarding on sidewalks. We all know seven years after this policy has passed, Mac goes outside right now. He's going to see, I know actually where he is because he's <laughs> at work nicer. He's going to see construction hoarding on the sidewalk and it's going to be needless. So I guess the question I have to ask is given that we have seen policy be passed and not be implemented and the big success of this motion is the motion and direction that is written down does not say to do anything and we're supposed to go off vibes and feels of the conversation with administration. What is the win here? I I'm worried because we don't have anything written down as what's going to happen this summer. If past results predict future outcomes, is this really something we should be excited about? Or is this disappointment upcoming? And youthful optimism in the garbage, I suppose. Uh, I'm, I'm a we're cynical such, We're such downers though. today, Troy. Yeah. The, the motion does instruct administration to move forward on the gaps that they've identified in their report. So as well as the the opportunities listed in our in our downtown pedestrianization plan. So one of the, the actions, as I mentioned, was around construction detours and better communicating that. So I don't know if that answers your question, Mac, but um, I am hopeful uh, through the, the motion passing and that unanimous support, the conversation with administration, um, that there will be some movement forward, but that requires our continued engagement. So these these types of conversations that discuss whether or not this is practical, will this, will this happen? Um, you know, all of our groups continuing to remain engaged and to fight for a spot at the table with administration to hold them accountable. I would hope that as part of as part of a city building process that would help uh, to move this forward. But I can see your sentiments and and hopefully we can continue to plug away at that. I think my response would be that I'd really encourage you not to be so narrow-minded about what an outcome is. It's not every day that we get $100 million for active transportation infrastructure across the city. Not every day is going to be a big win. Other days, we're going to have smaller wins. Other days, we're going to have wins that might tee us up for subsequent wins. I think the really important thing from our perspective, like our organization's perspective, is that we were able to publicly get everybody on the same page. And I think that makes the next discussion that is like 102 Avenue, that's maybe a big idea in the downtown, 
it makes it easier because we've already set the table of like, these are the things that we want. These are the things that we would like to see. It makes having that discussion about the next big idea a lot easier and tease us up for a subsequent win in the future. Not all of our work needs to be about direct, tangible wins, like a new crosswalk right here, right now. Like, I think a really good example is of a project that we did that was like a complete failure was like the Duggan Bridge. Like, we were like, you know, stop rebuilding the Duggan Bridge and like cut it in half and like save a bunch of money. And administration was like, no, that would be really bad for our project timelines. And council was maybe thought about it for a second. It was like, no, that'd be, that'd be kind of stupid. But I think it set up a larger conversation in some people's, some counselors' minds, especially around, oh yeah, like maybe we really do need to think about renewal of certain road infrastructure projects and think about how much capacity do we actually need? And can we scale that capacity back to save money and maybe reinvest it in other areas? I think there's just so many different kinds of wins like that, that we can get that maybe aren't that direct outcome we want, but set us up for success further down the pipe. And ultimately, it's that kind of work that makes $100 million for bike lanes possible. It makes, you know, a really nice neighborhood renewal uh, proposal possible. It makes a really cool white ab redesign possible. Like we need to not just focus on only getting this perfect outcome or this ultimate achievement in everything that we do, we need to recognize that we need to pass the baton to future advocates who can then use the good circumstances and situations that we've created to get that big W. I understand what you're saying, Stephen, and I've got a little bit of experience in this, right? I mean, we are about to discuss public spaces bylaw. Uh, it's coming up at council on February 14th. One of the things in there is removing the requirement for food trucks to have you know, special permits to go in public spaces. This is a fight that I started back in 2010 with city administration. And I like to think that some of the things we did over the the years with What the Truck, you know, helped move that conversation along. So I get your point that it takes time. It's it's about building capacity, which brings me to something else I wanted to ask you both about. And, and you both alluded to this a little bit, but you two seem to have a pretty good working relationship and you've been out and about in the media together. I'm wondering if this is really like a Jason and Steven thing, or is it a UDI and Paths for People thing, or is it a bigger thing? Because to your point, like stuff will happen, life happens, you move or you get a new partner, you get a new job, whatever. How does the work keep going? How does the progress that you've been able to make over the last while working together continue beyond you? It's a great question, Mac. Me and Jason have immaculate vibes and are just so much fun (laughs) to be around. But in being fun to be around, I think we've attracted other people into this work who have been tied into the process, understand where we can go and are invested in certain outcomes. So I think of Alex with the DRC or even our our now chair Shannon Lawner uh, was at the committee meeting. We're beginning to thread this work into other people so that it can be tied into the future. Um, And ultimately, it's being tied into what the city does, too. So they're kind of required to push this forward because they have the council direction now. Um, And so they'll be kind of dragging us along as well, too. I can understand the point that you're raising that it's like, oh, are you two just friends? But like, ultimately, a lot of good advocacy is just have a beer, getting some done. Yeah, yes. Literally, if you're if people are interested in this kind of work, like find your friends, find your people and start start doing it um, because that's kind of what this was and then find the ways to pass the baton. You know, Stephen and I are not friends, actually. I I despise (laughs) him. (laughs) 
<laughs> I find that he's too optimistic and positive for my incremental planning, uh, you know, perspective. But no, no, it's like I think what's really special about Edmonton. I've said this quite a bit. Been here for five years now. Is that there's a lot of people that are really passionate about the city, you know. And I I moved here because in Winnipeg nobody is talking about any of these particular urban planning um, issues, uh, and I think it's hardened to see. And you know when. When all the one or two avenue debates and discussions were happening and we, all of us were submitting the position letters, you know, there's a part of me that said, okay, like there's still something here that can be moved forward on. And and so I reached out to Stephen and and I said, maybe there's something we could do here. And and it was around just, you know, being able to harness the the ideas, the excitement. And I agree with Stephen's point that not only does it take champions, it also requires sort of institutionalizing or integrating um, the particular priority across the organization. So I think we've been able to create a lot of excitement within UDI. I can speak for our organization. I, you know, this wasn't even on our, our priority list. It wasn't on our work plan. It was something that we just did on the side of our desk. And now that we've been able to push it out there and, and show that we can work with with other organizations that might have different approaches, but the same vision that we can work together and we can move things forward. And that's already had some positive spinoffs with our committees and our working groups within UDI to sort of think differently about the problems that we're looking to solve and also uh, the different partners that we might want to integrate into our problem solving. And I think that's that's been a big win for us uh, from, our, from our end. One thing I really want to stress is that this work has not taken away from the other things that Paths for People has been doing. Like we're we're excited in the next couple of months to be launching some like localized advocacy initiatives around bike plan implementation. We, you know, are looking to get involved in the public places discussion. We, uh, you know, intersection signalization, like white app renewal, all these different things will continue to happen for us. And so this is just, this work is kind of additive, this downtown pedestrianization stuff. Uh, because again, like I was saying earlier, it tees us up for wins in the longer term. And I think if we can find out how to do these things better in downtown, we can also translate that to other main streets as well and kind of bustling commercial areas like 124th Street and uh, White Avenue or areas even further out. But I think tied more into this work, I think now that the city has to do this, they have to check in with us. So we're kind of being dragged along in that sense of continuing to do some of the work and some of the advocacy. But maybe I'll pass it off to Jason, like if you can kind of tee up some of the... I don't know if you guys are Swifties, but she just released the the tortured poets department, and there's this whole thing about whether or not it's it's like a it's about her old boyfriend Joe Elman, and there's like a they have their own WhatsApp chat. Yeah, Steven, yeah, yeah. Pastor people and all of our orgs, we have our own little group chat. Maybe we should call it the tortured 102 Avenue no, department. Jason. No, Jason. You complete idiot. The tortured pedestrians department. It was so. <laughs> it was literally right in front of you. And so that's I'm why sorry, it's so I'm important sorry. for past oh, yeah, people right. to have this kind of influence because we can help other organizations understand how to view these problems differently. Um, I think Jason, you were really trying to get to a point, but I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for yeah letting me know how the the real Taylor Swift album name because obviously I'm a lot older than all of you, but yeah what we were really excited about through this process is that we can bring together different voices, different perspectives, different organizations, and so pedestrianization is one part of the downtown. But as now the administration and council starts to sort out what this capital city downtown plan looks like, sort of our own WhatsApp chat was discussing like well maybe we can now think through what that downtown plan could look like on on our end uh, maybe we could start to collaborate and think through some of those priorities so it's already 
got us thinking about the next step, which I think is a good positive. So that's another next step for us is outside of just the built environment as it pertains to how people move, let's maybe think about how we can come together to think about what needs to be included in terms of priorities with uh, the emerging capital city downtown plan. Not as exciting as an album drop from Taylor Swift, but it could be still downtown related. It could be just as exciting. If I can relate kind of some parts of Jason's answer to like another one of the outcomes that I think is important for like the community of advocates that's really passionate about active transportation is that like this community is awesome. I've been a part of it for multiple years. It has such great ground game. It has such awesome connections distributed throughout neighborhoods in all parts of the city. But to be honest, like we don't necessarily have influence or strong connections before this point or before this process with developers or with, you know, major decision makers in the downtown. But now that we've established some of those connections, I think it's easier to come to an agreement or at least shape each other's processes or decision making to achieve that better pedestrianized downtown that we're looking for. Um, I was just had another point. Oh, Oh, you can cut out the f- uh, in the <laughs> editing process. Oh, and we still don't agree on everything. I think that's one really important point that we haven't said yet. We're going forward, like the outcomes, we're still going to have stuff that we disagree about, like pedways, like paths for people. It's not pedways for people, it's paths for people. And, you know, different developers or different stakeholders in the downtown have different perspectives about that. But I think through continuing to connect with one another, we can help shape our ideas on whether we need more pedways, whether a pedway should change its function or form. I think this opens us up for an even greater discussion that Jason was kind of mentioning about like what's downtown all about and how can we make it better? Just on on outcomes, a quick question. Like you both, you know, represent other parties like UDI has members, you know, the DBA you mentioned represents businesses downtown. Do you get any sense that the folks that these organizations represent, the five of you that came together, can engage those folks. And I'm thinking of how could we improve pedestrianization downtown? Well, businesses could clear the sidewalks in front of their business proactively. Land developers could not let sites sit empty with rebar sticking out of it, for instance. We could take down vinyl off windows. We could take down vinyl off fences, like those kinds of things. Do you think there's you know, a growing awareness about some of the things the folks you represent could actually do to improve pedestrianization? Like, it's not all on the city, right, to solve this problem. I think so. I think there's more willingness to hear out some of those complaints or concerns when they're not just coming from online or faceless folks. Like, it's it's so much easier to personalize it when you've worked on a project together and established some shared vision and goals. I think there's some direction there. There's some positive momentum. And I would even say in the report, like there was some discussion around like, yeah, how do we do snow clearing better? Like how, how can we recognize that downtown's a little bit different with how snow clearing needs to occur and let's get the city to investigate some of that. So now that the city has sunk their teeth into our report, they're going to run with it and try to find ways to implement some of those changes with partners like the DBA that are already looped into our process. So I think there's a, I, I totally know that Panita like knows that that needs to get better. And I think we're able to move in a more coordinated way because we've set out this motion and hopefully can get some wins. It's all about teeing up wins in the longer term. That's what I'm kind of recognizing from this good discussion. I think it's important to recognize that many organizations, including the city, are not monoliths. So, you know, people at the city who are working on infill lived in the suburbs and 
members of UDI, not all of them build in the suburbs, some of them build in the downtown. And so I think as, as Stephen mentioned, one of the big elements of our plan was being clear about the places where we diverge in our opinion and our different approaches and solutions. Uh, but one solution that actually came from the developers was around, and I keep adding it because it's one of my favorite ones, which is the LRT entrances. It's how do we up the design excellence and that integration between at grade and below grade? That's a little bit more of a long-term visionary idea that would require some funding and some thinking around how that might be moved forward, but you would never think that perhaps that came from a developer, you know, that might have been a community or a community member, or an architect that wanted to, to see that. But there are a lot of champions who, within these organizations, who you might paint them with a, a particular narrow brush, but um, that they, they do want to see some, some movement on that pedestrianization going to stop taking up your time so you can get to the very important aforementioned beers, of course. But we like to give our guests a segment, plugs, you know, information, whatever have you. If there is something that you want to tell our listeners, something that you think we've missed, something that you want to share, something that's upcoming, here's a time to, you know, put your mishmash of whatever else you want to say. I think I kind of flagged mine earlier, but I'll give you a different cut of it, basically. So, of course, Paths for People has been working on this downtown pedestrianization stuff. But that's just one of the projects that we've been focused on. We're really, really excited about the recent announcements about the bike plan implementation and expansion of active transportation infrastructure across Edmonton, utilizing that you know massive investment, that $100 million in building out better sidewalks, shared use paths, bike lanes, all that stuff. We're so excited about that and hope to see some stuff come out in the spring. And that's going to be a really excellent way for that community of advocates to get involved in some maybe more local discussions about certain networks and certain parts of the city that are going to get built out via that funding. And so keep your eyes peeled, get ready to rumble because we're going to have lots of fun getting spicy. That's all. <laughs> oh my God. And the winter cycling conference. Uh, don't forget about that. That's <laughs> happening later in February. We've been involved with uh, promoting that. And there's a great network of different organizations pushing that forward. Um, and so tune into the Winter Cycling Conference, YEG, wintercyclingcongress.org. This is so embarrassing. Uh, you know what to do. Just look it up. You can and- find it at the Taproot Edmonton calendar. It's in there. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for saving me, Mac. Um, check it out. This has been, you know, this. I think this little pitch I had was going well, and it kind of fell apart. Um, but that's what I would say is my pitch. Feel free to include the little wandering journey that I kind of went on in the middle there of this explanation, because I think it adds character and some spice and fun. Uh, and thanks again for the good discussion today. So hard to follow up, Stephen. He's just so much more fun and silly than I am. But yeah, thanks again for the conversation. I listen to you folks uh, while I'm in the bath. And it's always a great recap of what is going on in the city. So I think you're doing a great service to bolstering uh, civic literacy and uh, city building in the city. So thanks for that. Um, well, UDI to Metro, we're a not-for-profit that represents over 180 member companies who develop Edmonton in the region. We have planners, architects, developers, um, and two big things that are coming up. Uh, we are actually doing more public events. So we started this just two years ago. We did a, uh, an event with Councillor Karen Tang. We did one last year with Councillor Andrew Nack to talk about age-friendly planning. And we're doing one again on February 21st with Councillor Aaron Rutherford at the TELUS World of Science. And we're screening a film called Cities of the Future, which I've watched the film 
it is, you know, all the different wacky ideas, driverless vehicles, um, Jetson sort of vibe. Uh, but there will be a panel afterwards uh, with Dr. Bob Summers, Lauren Chappelle from the uh, Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues, uh, Brad Armstrong from Qualico, uh, as well as Councilor Rutherford herself. And we're going to talk about, okay, if we have all, all these big ideas for the future, how do we actually make them happen? And uh, do we have that right? You know, we can't really see into a crystal ball. So where is our Edmonton going? So that's a, an event on February 21st. It's free, open to the public, and we'd love for them to, to show up. And then we also uh, will be launching uh, on our website, udiedmonton.com, a series of what we're calling field trips. We always say that the worst place to plan a city is behind your computer, and we want people to actually see neighborhoods and communities as they uh, unfold. So we have a whole bunch of different tours, uh, one being the Valley Line. We know that Edmontonians love the Valley Line and they're all nerds about it. It's so much fun. Uh, so we're going to be taking the Valley Line and talking about the developments adjacent to the Valley Line. Uh, we're doing a tour about the new Old Strathcona, so all the developments that are happening on White Avenue. And then my personal favorite is a tour in August uh, the field trip is called The City Scoop, and it's going to be a focus on ice cream and urbanism in the city. We're going to explore places like the Brewery District, uh, Westmount, get planners to talk about all the different urban myths and legends around those particular sites and all the complications and all the scandals, uh, but also enjoy ice cream at the same time. So we just encourage people to go to our website and check out all the different public events we're doing now. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. I know this was a long time coming. Uh, I'm sure longer for you who had to show up to council chambers at least twice and sit there and wait for them to not get to your report. Glad to have it done and to uh, move on to what's next. Thanks for helping our listeners better understand what's happening with pedestrianization downtown. Okay, well, before we leave you to go run around on these newly pedestrianized streets in a year, we have to jump into the rapid fire segment. The province of Alberta has formed a six-person advisory council to give recommendations on water conservation for the predicted drought conditions coming this summer. The panel has been tasked with the question, how much burden can we place on individual responsibility to ensure that coal miners in Nestle don't have to change anything about their operations? The Oilers have ended their historic win streak one game shy of tying the league record this week. After 16 wins, the Oilers lost to the Vegas Golden Knights. However, team captain Connor McDavid was unfazed, saying, quote, The team has shown that when they put their mind to it, we can accomplish anything. And now people are saying that after this win streak, it's impossible we don't make the playoffs. And I'm here to tell you that this team truly can accomplish anything. And just you watch as we accomplish the impossible. Alberta's pause on renewable projects is slated to lift at the end of February, along with the release of a report from the Alberta Utilities Commission to the government. It will detail recommendations on how to approve renewable projects in an orderly fashion, perhaps with bonds and securities to ensure that renewable projects are fully cleaned up so as to not impact the installation of orphan wells. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Stephen. I'm Jason. And we're Speaking Sensibly. <laughs> oh, that was so much fun. I can move your tracks in post. It's still going to sound bad, but that's part of the charm. It's part so. of the fun. <laughs> <laughs>